Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. All right, uh, Mercy Commons, if you don't know yet, I'm Chris, uh, one of the elders here. This is my last Sunday leading you as an elder here. Um, so that means I get to drop the mic a few times and, and I don't have any, uh, any meetings afterwards. So... Um, <laughs> But um, I, want to, I want to thank you for, before we dive into James, um, for the way that you've loved us. Uh, I came here and I was uh, an intern at Southlands and was single and I was like, I don't know what, has my, what the future holds and so far we've grown and we've been so blessed by you. So um, thank you. And Gab is a representation of all the things that we've been blessed by, by being here. So I thank you for, for that. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in James chapter 1. Um, you know, James is a, it's a really special book for me. It's a practical book. I'm a very practical person. I love the do this, don't do that kind of message. And, um, you know, I think in terms of when we were planning this as an elder team, we were up in the mountains praying, what, you know, we planned the year. We think, God, what do you want to do? And it's really tough to plan a year in a pandemic um, because you don't know what the future holds. We just felt like last year there was something important for us that was in James for us to really understand as a church. And James's structure, this first chapter, kind of is, the, is like a sample dish of the rest of the book. You get to hear basically all the themes in this chapter, uh, and it's going to repeat itself. And so the great thing is I get to kind of begin to speak into a few other areas of James. You're going to hear it again and again. Um, I don't have them here, but there's icons that Grace has designed, and they're amazing if you look at them, if you like design. Um, but there's these pieces and components and design components that you're going to see come up in James. And I look at this as this curated piece of art kind of like that schematic of all these pieces coming together into this beautiful picture of what God has for us. And so uh, Nick did an incredible job talking about the first chapter, about the idea of temptation versus trial, and how do we have the wisdom to understand the difference between temptation and trial? We have to have the wisdom of God to know, am I being called to sit in this moment, or am I supposed to run to the Father in these moments? And so we're going to continue into James, going to pick up from verse 16 uh, and read all the way to 27. So starting in verse 16 in the ESV, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own accord, or of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Verse 22. But be doers of the word, not just hearers, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he's like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. And if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but, dece- but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled for God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep, one's un- keep oneself unstained from the world. So this morning we're going to unpack what it looks like to have a life of impact, that we have this understanding in James that we are called to something more than just existing, that once we 
are rescued by Jesus, that there's something that is required of us in our life, that we have something that we're called to do. And so if you're taking notes, we're going to talk about a life of impact. And I believe James has kind of four major areas he's going to walk us through in this text. And we're going to stick really close to the text today because I think he says it in a way that is so pertinent to our Orange County ears that we need to understand what it means for us to live a life that's meaningful and purposeful. Let me pray for us. We'll, we'll dive in. Jesus, thank you that your word is alive, that your word is both in us, but also we get to hear it and receive it. And God, you ask us to do it. Um, and Lord, I pray that as I, as I just share, as I preach your word, that you would help me um, to represent you well, that you would help us to respond as your bride, as your church today. So um, if you're like me, if you read this verse, I remember reading this verse in James, I would latch on to that last little piece about the orphans and the widows. I was like, yes, social justice is my jam. Um, I, uh, I remember growing up, going to Biola, I studied intercultural studies. I spent most of my time thinking about um, the poor and how do we help develop with the poor. And I would want to just skip all the other stuff before this to get to the part where we just like save the world. Um, that seems more fun, the like, you know, dis discipline and the actual discipleship. But I think there's a mistake if we just latch onto this. And I think sometimes even the church can kind of get pulled into just a social justice gospel, this idea that, yeah, it's all about the just serving component without the transformation. And that's a mistake. And I think as a church, something we've been trying to do well is preach the full word, which is the idea that impact is reliant on a change in us, that we must be transformed to have a life of impact. And, you know, I think for me, my story in ministry, just to give you a little snapshot, is I remember I was at a, at a big stadium event conference, and God was moving, and I remember that I had been studying missions a bit, and there was this guy who came on stage, and he's an Indian from Ecuador, and he was the one who murdered Jim Elliott. And I remember hearing this guy, and I was like, well, I have nothing to really hear from you, because you're just a murderer. Like, why would you bring someone to this conference? And he let him speak, and he says, unless they had come, the wives had come back and ministered to us and had courage to speak, and we didn't hear the gospel, we would never be, we would never know that this God loves us. I remember that dropped something in my spirit, this question, if, if you don't go, who will go? If you don't go and speak boldly, who is going to go? And I realized that in the journey of the last decade of this, it's been a learning of the, the transformation before the impact. But I had impatient desires to see things happen today. I want to see every church and gospel planting, um, churches planted around the world. I want to see translations happen. I want to see all this stuff happen. And I'd wake up saying, I'm just impatient, God. I don't understand why it's not progressing faster. And in a year like 2020, where you're limited in your ability to really do anything, I remember kind of beginning the year being impatient. God, when is this going to be over? When are you going to do something to go and make this happen? You want to see the nations change, but why aren't we seeing things happen today? And I believe the first component that James helps us do is he helps bring us back to the beginning, to what is the fuel for impact. And the first thing is a life of impact starts with the Father. He begins in this saying, every, good and every gift, every perfect gift is from above, from the Father of light. There is no variation or shadow in him. And of his own will, he brought us forth from the word of truth. This idea is that, first and foremost, that you are loved more than you ever could imagine. That's how he starts. He's saying, you understand that he is a father of light. Everything you have that's good comes from him. It's a gift. And his desire, his will for you, is that you would be fruitful. So every gift is from him, and his 
desire for your life is you would be fruitful and that you would actually do the things he's asking you to do. That is his intention. That he tends to get what he wants in terms of how he's going to do it for the end. We see in Revelation that he's going to be victorious. He's going to succeed. The earth will be renewed. And you're a part of that. And I love this phrase James says that you will be your first fruits of creation. This idea that you're the first example of what is to come. That it, this father who loves you and brings you near and tra- changes you and transforms you makes you into this first fruit, this example of something better. And that the idea that impact comes from a place of understanding the Father's heart and will for us is something that I had neglected for years. That I can trace many of my fear, many of my falling, many of the things I did wrong from a misunderstanding of a father. And that's part of my story. I have some issues around fathers. Um, and I lost my father, but God has always been this picture of father for me, and he's given me other fathers. Nick has been one of those men that has reminded me that before I do, I must be. I must be something. I must be someone who is loved before I can execute love. I can give love. I can do those things. You guys tracking with me? Okay. So it's important to start there because it's easy to then go into this message about all the things you have to do. And all the Enneagram 3s are sitting here saying, yes, tell me what to do. How do I get better? How do I make these things happen? But if you miss this moment of God as Father, if you don't understand what it means to have a relationship with Him, intimacy with the Father, then the rest of this is impossible. It's impossible to impact the city without understanding your position as a son and daughter in the house. And so the question I have before we start is, when's the last time you just sat with your Father? Just been with Him. Heard His affection for you. Just waited. Instead of rushing to and fro, instead of being on... 20 hours of Zoom and then just filling ourselves with media saying, can I just sit and recognize that he's here, that he loves me, that he's for me, that his desire for me is I would be fruitful. So I don't have to fear when the trials come. I don't have to be afraid when there's difficulty because I know who my father is. He is constant no matter what changes. I want to say that if you forget anything in this uh, verse, don't forget that thing. <laughs> Remember this component. And that's one of my gifts to you as I leave is this sense of, if anything, focus on in the relationship with the Father first. That's the most important thing we can be focused on. But the second thing is that a life of impact is shaped by the character of God. James says, know this, my beloved brothers, that every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Kind of sounds like a good word for us this year with Facebook. Because a lot of times I see a lot of comments without any waiting or sitting and and saying, hey, maybe I should think about what I say. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. So James's desire in this book is about the righteousness of God. It's a sense of an embodied faith that is you would live the righteousness of God, that there would be an integration to what you say and what you believe and what you do and that you would walk in righteousness. And his plan for your life is that you would move towards righteousness. And James gives us a masterclass of kind of how to address this. So there's kind of three pieces to this, I think, component. They're not on the screen, but just listen. First is slow down. James is like, why don't you slow down before you make that assumption? Before you desire to speak and give an opinion, our world loves opinions. And our world says, you're entitled to have whatever opinion you want, You should broadcast that everywhere and make a TikTok about it, and that is what you should do. And what we see is we have a a divide in people where there is not listening happening, that I'm assuming so much about you, 
that you must believe this because you wear this color hat. Or you must believe this because you happen to go to this homeschool group. Or you should be these people because you show up on a field on a Sunday. And what I've seen in James when he's trying to remind us is that the connection to the slowness to speak, this listening is directly tied to righteousness. It's not just a nice thing to work on, like, you know, corporate listening about how do I just like make space and hear people. No, there's a sense that you have to have a righteousness built into you so that you're able to control your tongue and listen. We're going to talk about that in a second. But the, the idea is that we need to first stop, slow down, and give space to say, maybe I'm not in the right position here. Maybe my opinion isn't the most important thing in the world right now. Maybe I'm seeing things incorrectly, which would be like crazy to actually for the world to stop saying, maybe I have a different perspective that's not, not correct. Because then James says, repent is the second component of this. Slow down, repent. He says, put away your filthiness and the rampant wickedness. His assumption is the Nick Saltis quote, which is that we are uh, wicked, depraved, and deserving of death. He's not saying that you're kind of a good, you're a good person with a kind of a, a tilt towards being, saying the wrong thing. He's saying you have a rampant wickedness in your heart. That's the assumption that you are seeing things incorrectly. Put it away. Put it to death. We repent. So we say, Father, you're the Father of heavenly lights. You are the one who gives good gifts. I may not be seeing things correctly right now. I need to repent of the pride that I have in my heart that is holding on to an opinion or to an idea so tightly that I can't recognize that maybe you have something good out of the situation. You know, I remember early in our marriage, um, we went to the beach, and I, we had, it was like Newport. There's no parking. We'd driven around for hours. We just gave up. Uh, and, and we went, and we had some, you know, we had, saw some sand. I came home, and I remember, um, you know, I, my wife said, hey, can you take your shoes off at the door? I said, yeah. And she said, hey, can you, like, make sure you change, like, in the bathtub so you don't, like, get sand everywhere? And something in me, just, like, it's like that moment, if married couples know this, you're like, something in you just kind of, like, snaps, like a little twig in the back of your mind. And you're like, I don't want to do anything she says, no matter what she says. And so I just, I knew I couldn't say anything, so I just closed the door, slammed the door. Slam the door, which then ensued into a nice discussion about how we're going to respond <laughs> to one another. I called Chris, my, my good buddy, and I said, Are you like, she's being ridiculous. Like, it was like the beach, at Sand River vacuum. Why is, and he stopped. He said, why can't you just slow down and just do what she said? Like, what is so bad about just doing that thing she asked you to do? And I recognized in that moment I was wrong, very wrong. And I had this pride that I have some opinion that I must hold on to. I'm not supposed to be told what to do. I am at Enneagram 8, so I hate being told what to do. But I don't want to be told what to do. I don't want to be controlled because I have this underlying belief that I am right because everyone else is wrong and they're going to hurt me. And it was like the Spirit of God was speaking as Chris talked to me. He said, why can't you just slow down and just repent for a moment? That your heart is so prideful. Why don't you just receive this with meekness that she's loving you and that you've been wrong? So I had to apologize to my wife. Um, but it was a lesson that taught me that in my marriage, I need to just recognize that maybe I have the wrong perspective as the majority of the time, and that I should actually sit back and say, Spirit of God, am I right in this? Is this what you're asking me to do? And repentance is the posture of impact. That when we approach people around us and the city around us, when we say, God, I want to be in alignment to the righteousness of God, I repent of my pride, of my wickedness, there's something that's beautiful that happens. So we slow down, we repent, and the next thing is we, we receive. We receive 
something beautiful. That when we make space, we give room to him. We, give, we slow down and we, sl- we give away our opinions. We say, okay, maybe I'm wrong. He comes and he brings us something that is beautiful. He says that we bring us, he brings us the implanted word that can save our souls. We receive with meekness his word. You know, I think some of us are so exhausted trying to just do everything, that we're trying to do everything on our own. We're busy, we're anxious. But a life of impact is fueled by his word, that it is something that is placed inside of us. The things that he places in us are more lasting than all of our efforts, all the things we try to accomplish. And that when we make room for him, that he will place something in us that's everlasting and fuels us for ministry. You know, James isn't just talking about memorizing verses here. I think sometimes we kind of look at this as like, yep, if I just memorize a bunch of verses, I'm good. But there's something so much deeper, more complex to this. He's saying that God's desire is that he would dwell in us. He would be inside our hearts, our souls, and our very beings. And this is not a new idea. He's referencing back to old scripture. Remember, James is talking to a bunch of Jewish Christians who understand the Old Testament. So he's referencing verses like Ezekiel, where he says, I will give them one heart and a new spirit. I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. It's a sense of an exchange that when we lay our lives down, the implanted word comes and dwells in us and replaces what was there before. It says in Jeremiah 31, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. In order to have a life of impact, we have to receive him. We have to receive him. And it's not just a one-time thing. James is talking to believers. It's not like he's talking to the city saying, no, you know this Messiah. You need to receive him daily. Receive the word with meekness. That he would remind us that he is in us and for us. And he would write on our hearts the very word of life. When's the last time you just did that? Sat with his word and said, you know what? You're in me. And I celebrate that. Go through the Old Testament and see the desperation that Israel has to be in relationship with God. And they fail over and over. And the distance gets further and further. And we have full access today. Today, if you say, I follow Jesus, I'm a, I'm a Christ follower, you have full access to the, the fullness of God in you. It's not that you're some deity yourself, but you have made room for the true king to reign on the throne of your heart. And out of that comes something magical, which is the impact we're looking for, the life we're looking for. You know, for me in leadership, this has been the tension of how do I continue to do more things and lead without giving up this space of returning and receiving the implanted word in my soul? And it's hard. It is not easy. I mean, these leaders that you have are respected men who make space for this, like beautiful lives that are messy and busy and crazy, but they make room because there is a value in having the implanted word being received daily. It's a manna that we have to continue to go back to because it's the very Holy Spirit within us. If you don't have that, a lot of times we justify the distraction of a bunch of other stuff. I'm having such an impact in my ministry, my life. But if you're empty without the Spirit of God reminding you of who he is, what he's done for you, it causes problems. And James knows this because he's saying that in order for us to do this, we have to remember this perfect law. So the next point, number three, is that a life of impact is fixated on the perfect law. It says, verse 22, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face. So James is 
kind of preaching a mini sermon here, which I love. He does the job for me. He's like, look, here's an example. Imagine you went and you saw a mirror and you had some spinach in your teeth. And you looked at that and you just forgot the spinach in your teeth. You walked away and you're living your life forgetting what you look like. James is saying, it's, it, this is ridiculous. You would just see yourself and you would be changed. You would do something about it. And if you live your life as a Christ follower, just hearing words preached over you and not responding, it's the same as this, if you just miss this giant thing that's on your face. And he's saying that what we look into is the perfect law, this, this law of liberty. So what does he mean by this? Is he talking about the Old Testament? Are we supposed to like do Deuteronomy all the way through? He's actually pointing to Jesus who has fulfilled the law for us. That the act that Jesus has done as the Messiah who's come, who's lived out the life we can never live so that we could have access to the Father we just talked about. So we could have an identity that is deeper than what we just accomplished. That Jesus acts as a mirror to us. So that when we see him, he reflects in us what we need to change. And there's a sense that we come to him and he says, look, if you walk away from the word not doing it, it's as if you just forgot what you look like. And it's ridiculous. You know, I think a lot of times why, as Christ followers, we get bored and disillusioned and we get discouraged is because we kind of forget what has been accomplished for us. We've just done it for so long. Maybe you've been a Christian for your entire life. And you've went to the, the VBS Bible school and you've done the things and you went to Biola and you did those components and then you walk away saying, I don't understand why my life is so boring or why I'm, what I'm doing doesn't seem to matter. And I don't think it has to do so much with what you're doing as much as how much you reflect on this perfect law, this Jesus who's come for your behalf, on your behalf for your sake and what he's done. And that when we forget the perfect gift that he is, that the Father gives us these in trials, we start to give up. We start to say, well, the life is zero sum then. It's too hard. So if they're benefiting, I must be losing. That if they're getting something, I must not be getting what I need. So I'm going to make sure my opinion is no. I'm going to make sure that my stand is placed. That I'm going to be known as someone who didn't just give up on what is mine. But if we forget who Jesus is and what he's done for us, you know that he's given you everything you need, that this is not zero sum. He is an abundant God. But it comes down to the place that, that the crux of what James is saying for us to do is this remembrance of what he has done. Because if you actually knew what he did, if you actually spent time understanding who Jesus is and what he's accomplished for you, the overflow of your life would be impact. The overflow, of your, you would not be able to help seeing your neighbor who has, sickness and praying for them. You would not be able to help standing in a room with someone who's saying, I'm struggling with anxiety and saying, how can I introduce you to this father who does not change? When you feel like your world is a mess, he can step in and he can help you. You know, I think we get apathetic because we forget. And I forget. I forget all the time. And sometimes I would just get frustrated at Nick because, you know, Nick and I have differing opinions sometimes. And of course, I'm right. And, <laughs> and so is he. So we're both right. And I, and I realized that while I would walk away, and the Holy Spirit would usually not bring up the thing, the issue. It would be, you know, where is this coming from, Chris? And it's usually the sense of, that if I don't see this go my way, if it doesn't go the way I want, it's, it's, it's for loss. So we're, what are we doing? And the Holy Spirit's been so kind in this last season to me, saying, you know what? I am sovereign. I will accomplish my will. Maybe there's a moment you can just say, 
hey, reflect on what Jesus has already done for you. That I am not building the church, Chris Johnson, that he is building his church. And that I can step back and say, Jesus has done so much for me. The blood of Jesus is the most important thing. We just even just reflected in communion on that, that he is the one accomplishing the work. My job in this is to remember, to reflect. Israel had this issue. And there's this thing called an Ebenezer, this rock kind of thing. <laughs> and it was a reminder. You would pass by it and you'd be remembering what he's done for you. That Israel would forget. Remember, remember, oh Israel, your God. This remembrance is so important for us. You know, I think a good idea in this season of James is just to take a verse and just put it on your dashboard and just remember what he's done. Remember how he's accomplished this for you, especially in traffic, as traffic is back to life again. Where did this come from? And you just say, you know what? When that person cuts me off for the 14th time because they've been in and out of the same lane forever, I can remember, you know, I, I have this beautiful car <laughs> that is maybe a, a junker, but it's better than, you know, having nothing. I have this beautiful life that he's given me, this gift. I have this Savior who's rescued me. I, it's okay. I don't have to remind them with my horn how incorrect they are. <laughs> it's not, that's for Saltis. Oh. <laughs> um, you know, the idea is that James is saying, what you set your gaze on will, will set the direction of your life. That if you look into the mirror, the, the law of liberty, the freedom that Jesus has, it will set the direction of your life that you will find that opportunities he will give you for more, that he will give you a talent and you will multiply it. He will make you a fruitful tree. Because when you set your gaze on him, when you say, Jesus, you're all that I want, you're all that is, that matters to me, that my entire direction of my life relies on you, when I put myself in a position of reflecting on him, it changes what the outcomes are. But if we don't, it's impossible to actually do the things we're saying. That we can be confused with empty religion. We can do things out of just rote. And James is going to help give us a quick litmus test on how to know if you're actually living a life of impact. So the fourth point here. A life of impact is not satisfied with empty religion. So how do we do the word and just, and like actually put it into practice, right? That's the point of this whole message is like not just being a hearer, but a doer. James is saying that it's far too easy to do life with fake religion. This idea, he's going to say religion is kind of the way of Jesus, walking a life with God. And that we, it's, it's the default to live a false faith as opposed to true living faith, an embodied faith. And so James cares way too much to let us do that. So he highlights two things, kind of two areas, that if these things are happening, you can know that you're actually living a life of faith. First is, look at how you talk. Really simple. It's actually profound. He's like, look at how you speak. If you are unable to control your tongue, he says, it's a clear example that you don't understand this law of liberty in your life. You don't understand that the Father of Heavenly Lights has every good and perfect gift for you. You don't understand who you are. And so that if what comes out of your mouth is just pretty much garbage, it's just undermining people's value, it's judging people, it's, you can't control, it just comes out. Unfortunately, that's what's in your heart. And that James is saying you need heart surgery. You need the perfect law in you. This Jesus, who is this reflection to you of saying, here's what you need to change. If you don't have a tongue under control, I question if what you're doing is actually meaningful. That how you speak matters. 
And I, we're going to do this more. I don't have to go into every single detail because you're going to hear this again and again about how the tongue, it's kind of like California wildfires, that it, sound, it's, it was a simple little gender reveal that burned out half the state. But that's really how the tongue operates, that it's the power of the wickedness in our hearts and the vessel of the tongue can change everything in negative ways. And if your tongue is uncontrollable, it means there's something critically wrong with your heart. So think about what are the last conversations you've had? the interactions, the grumbling. I have to check myself in this with clients. I have marketing clients who think that the world revolves around their income and they can get mean. And I can sometimes forget that Jesus is my savior and I report to him. And so sometimes I can grumble. Oh, this client, they don't understand. They're completely blown out of proportion. And then it becomes a judgment of their character. They're just so like dumb. And then the Holy Spirit catches me in this saying, you know what, <laughs> so interesting that you can say that. <laughs> you are quite a work that I had to do. He stepped in and he saved me and rescued me. So we look at your tongue, how you talk, how you respond. Second thing is you look at your life. If your, world, if your life looks like the world around you, there may be something wrong. That if there's nothing different between you and the neighbor who does not know Jesus, there may be something wrong with your soul. Because that means you've believed a lie. You've believed what the world has been selling us wholesale, that you need these things to be successful, that you need these things to be full of life. And yet the result that Nick preached so well is that the result is death. The result is not life. It, it spirals into destruction. And James is saying, if your life is not unstained from the world, what, there's something wrong. Because if you knew who Jesus is and what he's done for you, your life would look different. I love this, this Kim Walker song. All these charismatic people here, he, she does this bridge talking about if you knew the Holy Spirit, if you knew him, you would never be the same again. And if you say, I follow Jesus, there should be a critical difference between your life before and after, that you would bear new fruit, that you would begin to grow from glory to glory. But if you look like your neighbor who complains all the time, without hope, with a sense that my opinion matters more than anyone else's. I wonder if the work of God has been happening in you. And James is pretty harsh with this. Now, I'm not saying you're going to question your salvation forever. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that maybe there's an opportunity for the Spirit of God to do a work. Because James points in the earlier verses saying that he's pointing to future judgment, saying that the work of God is saving you for the future as well, that we've been rescued. Yeah, God has saved us on the cross. But he's also rescuing us from the second judgment saying he's working in us to that completion. If your tongue and your life look like the world, there's an opportunity to repent. There's an opportunity to say, you know what? Jesus, I need you. Remind me of how I do this. You know, my fear of Mercy Commons is that you could waste your time doing the motions, stacking the chairs, thank you for stacking chairs, serving the coffee, leading in a band, showing up Sunday after Sunday, and never encounter the fullness of what God has for you. Because empty religion looks like things we applaud, but they're empty unless your heart has been changed. It's why it's so important, why as a community, we have four values. That we revel in the mercy of God. This idea of revel is like, jump in it. Think ball pit, just go. Enjoy it. The fullness of what he has for you, this father of lights. Every gift is good from him. Enjoy him that we worship, it's not something we rush through. We make space to hear from him. That we would then demonstrate in our lives, that our lives will look different 
from the world around us, that we would demonstrate what it looks like for the kingdom to break in in our finances, in our family, in our marriage, in my singleness, in the way I approach my work, in how I think about my decisions. And then we have the sense that it's the proclamation that what we say matters, that we proclaim him risen. And when you speak words that are death, what is your proclamation? It's the opposite of what you're trying to say, that Jesus is alive, and yet we say with the words that he's still dead. But no, we say, no, my hope is greater than this moment. My hope is greater than my circumstances. I believe he has called me to things that are greater, so I don't have to complain. I don't have to worry. I can say, Jesus, you are good and you are constant. I believe you. And so when someone does something that's not quite woke, we can say, all right, I don't have to shut them down, but I can have compassion on them. And then we have the sense of participate, which is my favorite part. So I've saved the best for last. Because if we have this heart that's been changed, that we get to participate in acts of mercy and justice. It's a, something that I've been super passionate about um, our entire life. Gav and I have been, you know, traveled, whether it's from India and working with entrepreneurs, uh, you know, Daniel is a friend of ours, and just being up with him saying, how do we bless you and what you're doing in business? And um, from being in places that are like Ghana, where we just spent time with church planters, uh, even advanced and what's going to be happening. I think uh, some things that will come with Nepal, I think, are reflections of what we get to do when we actually have a deeper understanding of the Father's affection for us, this mirror of the true perfect law, who is Jesus. And when we operate in a faith and trust that, you know what, he's calling me to greater things. But those things are not the ultimate thing. And you can make your life, I love what we do at foster care and kids. I think that's the most beautiful thing. But if that becomes your identity, if serving in the homeless ministry here, or maybe in the Y, becoming your identity, James is saying you could do worthless religion. You could do things, that true things will come out of you. But the reflection, the openness of your heart would be that you would actually do these things from a place of health. And I think that's something we have to make sure we, we nail. He's saying the overflow of your life would be impact. But I also know that, James, that you could do things without actually caring about people. And Jesus wants to do something today in you where you would have an impact from a place of health. So my commission to you as we land, and the band can come on up, is... Mercy Commons, our name as a church was that of a place of a common place for mercy, that this would be an interchange, an exchange for people around us. And I love that we're still at the Y. And I'm not so concerned about your impact in mercy and justice. I'm more concerned about how do we have lives that reflect the kingdom in everything that we do? Because I know if that happens, you guys will be an impact in the city, that I know that the city will miss us if we left for some reason as a church that we would be people who would be integrating into homeless ministries. We would be integrating into this place. This place is also a gift. If you haven't noticed, this is an incredible place for us to be. It's not something that we just say, oh, I wish I had a building, but it's a saying, second time. <laughs> but I, I just want to, I want to impart to you the sense of uh, what is God asking you to maybe dream about in this season? that as you reflect on what Jesus has done for you and the overflow of your life is impact, his concern is not just the impact, it's your, it's your soul. But maybe there's a sense that as we respond to the Spirit, he's putting pictures in your mind of things that he's calling you to do. 2021 is an opportunity. Things are opening up. And the question I have for us as a church is, what is the opportunity he's calling me into? I think maybe for some of you it's invitation. 
that we have Alpha going on right now. And that maybe for you, it's, it's risking career for a bit to invite someone to Alpha. Maybe it's a sense that you're, you're going to say, you know, I, I need to invite my neighbor over for dinner. But now that things are a bit more open, maybe I can do a backyard dinner with my neighbors. What would that look like for you? Jesus is not saying, do more so you can be valued. He's saying, you are already valued, and the overflow of your life is impacted. And I am so encouraged, and I am so full of faith for what's ahead for this church. But I want to pray for some people today. So, um, as the band plays some melodic sounds. There's two people I think really I want to pray for, and then Nick will have probably some other things as well. But the first is someone who's saying, you know what, I've lived my Christian experience feeling empty that I've gone through the motions for the last few years and I haven't seen fruit. And I don't know what's up. I've served, I've been here, I've shown up, I went to the classes, but it's something hasn't happened. I think there's an infilling of the spirit that is welcome and available for you today on this field. And the second group of people, I think are people who um, have not stepped out in faith in what the thing that God has called them to do with impact and ministry that there's a sense that, yeah, they feel healthy, but it's comfortable, and it's healthy and comfortable. Maybe he's inviting you for the overflow of your life to begin the dream with him on ways to impact the city. Mercy Commons, you have been a beautiful bride, and you are a beautiful bride, and I believe there's so much more ahead of you. And as we transition, this is not goodbye. Um, This is a sense that I am so excited that the next chapter is something that's going to be full of faith and life. Can I pray for you? You mind if we stand and we pray? Jesus, thank you that you reflect as a mirror to us and you expose our hearts. And you don't run away. You don't, you're not ashamed of us. But you see us as we are. And you connect us to a Father who gives us every good gift. And when we surrender our opinions and our thoughts to you, and we make space for your word, you fill us. This beautiful picture of God coming down and filling his creation. And God, I know that your desire is that that new things would happen. That in this year, there would be more baptisms of people who would say, I can't live my life the same way anymore. I must respond. That there would be full of people who are healed. That we would operate in a sense of sharing prophetic words that would encourage a soul who hasn't heard from you before. God, the overflow of our lives is impact. But God, would you impact us first? Would you remind us of what you've accomplished for us on the cross? that the tomb is empty, that we don't have to fear. And when trials come and when things come to us, we don't have to fear because you are with us and you are for us. So God, even as we lift our voice in song, even as we sing truth over ourselves, would you do something in us? Would you make us doers of your word, not just hearers who hear the same thing? Would you shake us loose to begin to walk in faith in new ways from glory to glory? to glory. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, 
visit our website at mercycommons.church.